Hey, podcast listener, are you working so hard you wonder if the money is even worth it? If you're like most CPAs I work with, you have way too much to do, you feel relentless deadline pressure, and worst of all, you feel torn between serving clients and being with family. What if I told you you could work a 40-hour week without losing a dime? I know it sounds impossible, but my Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind is designed for CPAs just like you who want to get their lives back. Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind is launching soon. In it, you'll learn how to start getting your time back week by week, make your workload manageable while still bringing in plenty of revenue, what to put in your packages and how to price them, and so much more. Don't leave your future to chance. CPA Mastermind will get you on the same profitable path you've been searching for. With unlimited coaching, your success is guaranteed. Go to GeraldineCarter.com to learn more. Dates, times, pricing, it's all there. Welcome to the She Thinks Big podcast, where you'll hear from women entrepreneurs who are doing good in the world, from spark to screw up to success. Thinking big is in their core. It's in yours and it's in mine. I've traveled to 50 countries and seven continents, done an Ironman, and co-founded a company that has generated millions of dollars for sustainability. My name is Geraldine Carter, and I'm delighted to share with you conversations and coaching with amazing women. Time to get inspired and grow your impact. Have you ever thought about where your underwear comes from? Have you ever wished it could be cute, good for you, and responsibly made? Well, Francie Wasser found herself wondering the same thing when her doctor told her she needed to wear cotton underwear, except until she started making her own, not only was cotton underwear boring, but it also was likely to be made in sweatshops with women and men working in difficult conditions around the world. I'll let her tell you the story of how she's taking women's underwear and changing an industry. This is Francie Wasser, owner of Francie Pants. Francie, welcome to the She Thinks Big podcast. Thanks, Geraldine. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, I'm really excited to have you. And I'm super excited to talk about Francie Pants and tell our listeners about what you're up to because it's super cool. But first, before we start, I have two questions for you. The first one is, when did you know that you were going to be an entrepreneur? I had what I would call a traditional entrepreneur's epiphany. You know, when you read books about entrepreneurs and you hear that they had this moment where they had an idea, I actually had that. And it was in March of 2017 when the idea for Francie Pants came to me while I was sewing a pair of Francie pants myself. So I think that probably was the moment when I really realized I was going to be an entrepreneur. The truth is that I already had started my entrepreneur journey even before that without even realizing that I had been on it. I used to be a consultant with a traditional consulting job at a consulting firm. I left that in the summer of 2015 and started consulting independently. So the truth is that I really had been starting to do my own stuff, starting to run businesses myself, but it was really 2017 with this idea that I realized, oh yeah, I'm actually an entrepreneur now. So you didn't like make rainbow bracelets or sell candy bars or lemonade as a kid? No, I didn't. I hear stories about folks like that all the time. I mean, I think I might have, but it definitely wasn't a formative experience that I remembered. And there's one thing, you know, that I can say, I think that there are a lot of folks out there who don't necessarily consider themselves entrepreneurs. In fact, I definitely was one of those people. I went to business school, even as an MBA, I did not consider myself an entrepreneur. So I'm not surprised at all what I hear from so many folks out there, especially women who don't think that they 
they are or could be an entrepreneur. I was in that group, but it's just not true. I figured out when I had this idea and I realized how passionate I was about bringing it to the world, suddenly I was an entrepreneur. Anyone can be an entrepreneur. Yeah. Even if it starts with rainbow bracelets or not, even if it starts with consulting, it doesn't matter. You know what I did? I sold Girl Scout cookies. I was pretty into that. <laughs> Girl Scout cookies. Boom. Love it. How did the spark for Francie Pants come to you? So there's a bit of a story actually to how Francie Pants came to being. And I referenced, you know, my aha moment that happened in the spring of 2017, but really the story starts quite a bit before that. So if we back up to 2013, that was actually when this whole idea first started percolating. I was looking for a product and it didn't exist. So I was actually in the market for 100% cotton women's underwear. And I was in that market because my doctor recommended it for me because I, first of all, doctors almost universally recommend 100% cotton to women because it is the healthiest fiber. And that's particularly true for women who struggle with infections of various types. And so my doctor said, wear this cotton. I said, okay. I went to the store, I looked for it. And even though I could find cotton underwear out there, I didn't like it. I thought it was ugly and it did not meet my style criteria. And I was very unhappy about this. And so, you know, a few months later, I was complaining to my mother about this situation. And she said, well, Francie, why don't we just make it. And I'm like, mom, no, come on. That's crazy. No one does that. Nobody makes their own underwear at home. That's not a thing. <laughs> like I know you're crafty and all. And she said, let me just try. And I said, fine, fine. You know, go ahead, knock yourself out. And so my mother started sewing underwear for me and mailing it to me. And at the time I lived in Chicago and she was living in Maryland where I grew up and where I live now. She started mailing me samples of underwear. I was trying them on and giving her feedback on the fit of it over the phone, which was a very funny process. <laughs> And we got it right. It turned out great. So she made a bunch of it for me. And that's what I've worn ever since. And so it used to be that almost nobody knew that about me, that my mother made my underwear. And now almost <laughs> everybody knows that about me, that my mother made my underwear. But it was wonderful. So then fast forward, you know, I left consulting, started consulting independently, moved to Maryland where I grew up in 2017. And I needed more underwear because my underwear was all three years old. So I asked her to make some more for me. And she said, no, I'm going to teach you how to make it. And I said, again, fine, fine. I will try, you know, but I I considered myself to be a novice sewer, not necessarily someone who could handle stretchy fabrics and lace and things like that. But I tried it and it turned out great. And my aha moment was not just realizing that there were probably other women out there who would appreciate this product, but that there were probably other people out there who would appreciate the opportunity to sew this product from home. There's just something really special, I think, that happens when you make something yourself and it's an item that you know is of value and an item you know other people will appreciate. So I felt that sense of pride in the garment that I had made. But I also know that there are just so many folks out there who have side gigs side hustles and who are looking for ways that they can have supplemental income in addition to whatever their other income sources are. That's why so many people are interested in driving for rideshare companies at this point and a host of other things. I know people need that opportunity and this is an opportunity like that, but better for a lot of reasons. One, you don't need to have a car. You know, you only need to have a sewing machine, which is a much, much smaller investment. In fact, I know there are a lot of folks that have sewing machines in their closet that they haven't used for a long time or 
sewing machine they inherited. You know, so it's a much easier tool to come by. And also the thing that is special about this opportunity is much more inclusive. There are a lot of people who are excluded from driving for rideshare companies, for example. You know, there are many women who don't feel safe doing that, or there are retirees or folks who have a disability or folks who are formerly incarcerated who are excluded from that opportunity. And the cool thing about sewing for fancy pants is everyone can do it and you can do it from home on your own schedule and it's a much physically less taxing job to do. So you're sitting there, your mom's like, okay, I'm going to teach you how to sew these things. Mm -hmm. And you're like, hmm, I don't know, but maybe. Right. She teaches you how to sew them and you're like, huh. Yeah. I was at my childhood home in my childhood bedroom, sitting at my childhood desk with a sewing machine. You're like, mom, okay, these ones are a little too tight in the butt. Oh yeah. It was just like that. <laughs> Except we were working on thongs. So it was even more interesting. You're like mom, mom, not so tight on the thong. <laughs> and she's like, but it looks great. And you're like, ee, ee, weird. <laughs> it was just like that. Exactly. So you sew your pair of underwear and what's the moment where you're like, I'm going to take this out to the world. Well, the very first thing I said is, mom, you should be selling these on Etsy. She had some other products she sells on Etsy. And she said, I don't want to sell underwear on Etsy. And I realized that Etsy is the wrong platform for it. And that was really when the whole idea for crowd manufacturing was born. There is a marketplace already that exists for home crafted goods. But what we do not have is a marketplace for crowd manufactured goods, which is what these are. So folks who are making things at home on Etsy, for instance, there's a lot of responsibility that goes into sourcing the materials making the product, marketing the product, all of those things. That's what Francie Pants is. That is what the business does. That is what I do. But it is not what I am expecting anyone who sews, what the sewing artists do. The sewing artists just sew. And that's what is different and what is special about the crowd manufacturing opportunity. And right now, Francie Pants exclusively is a 100% cotton underwear brand for women, although we do intend in the future to branch out to other products that can be made in a similar fashion from home as taught by a sewing instructor who teaches at a pod, pod is the word we use for it, teaches folks how to sew. And then they take the materials home and sew it from home. So you're sitting there like, all right, Etsy is not the right venue for this. How do you get from that to we should outsource the manufacturing and allow people to sew from home? Because nobody else is doing this. Well, there are some folks who are doing this on a much smaller scale. The thing that Francie Pants is doing that is really different is designing the system, just designing the manufacturing model so it's something we can scale and it's something that can create jobs for not just a couple people, but thousands of people across the United States. So that's one of the things that's different. You'll, you'll see, you, and you may have even heard or encountered other brands where they, you know, outside the United States have groups of women who are taught to do a scale and they make a product and they bring it to the United States. It's not a truly original idea. It's just the way that we are doing it that is different. And actually, this has been around for hundreds of years. You know, it's traditionally called cottage industry, right? Because people for ages have been making things at home and bringing them to a market to sell them. That's what we're doing. So what's your first step from idea to, okay, I'm going in on this idea? To be completely honest, it all happened very fast <laughs> because I truly did have this idea and have this vision for what the future could look like with crowd manufacturing all very quickly. It was then later that I, you know, filled in the steps. How do we get from me at the sewing machine with this idea to the future where we have thousands of crowd manufacturing jobs. So really it happens one pod at a time. You know, in terms of the steps that I went through prior to today when we're talking were to design, you know, the underwear. I mean, at the time there was really one design that I was making pretty regularly for myself personally, but after that commenced a design phase and a testing phase and a focus grouping phase where my mother and I worked together to create designs and to try those designs out with groups 
of women who were willing to do that. I happen to have a very favorable situation for that in my free time when I'm not designing or selling underwear. I am a synchronized swimmer. Oh, nice. That's right. Yeah, I'm on a synchronized swimming team. So coincidentally, I happen to spend a lot of time in locker rooms with a lot of women of diverse ages and sizes. Oh my God, you had like a built-in focus group. Pretty much. I was convenient. So I did that and, you know, did a little bit of surveying and got feedback and also devised the plan for Francie Pants' unconventional sizing system and got all that worked out and decided which styles we're going to make. And then you have some pattern making tasks, you know, scaling them up, scaling them down, making, you know, so there's a lot of sample making. And then came time to tell the world about it and launch and set up the website. What was the early feedback that you got from like, particularly the synchronized swimmers in the locker room? What did they say? Generally, the feedback was really positive. You know, people just loved that it was comfortable. They loved how pretty it was. They loved the prints because I love prints, like printed fabric. I like it better than solid colors. So most fancy pants come in printed fabric. And we do, of course, have some solid. So people found that to be special and unique. We also have stretch lace for all of the trim. And the reason we have stretch lace is, one, because it's pretty and I like it. I think it's pretty. And two, because stretch lace is actually far more invisible under clothing than most other trim. And I know that's a little bit counterintuitive because you know, when we think of the lace, we think, oh, isn't it bumpy? But it's actually not. And because it doesn't need to be folded over the edge of the fabric, it actually is flatter and disappears more easily. The feedback that I was getting initially was how pretty they were and how excited people were to wear them. It lays flatter, it sounds like, than a traditional kind of waistband. Yeah. And another thing that is unique about the garment design is we had to figure out how to construct the garments using traditional consumer sewing machines. Well, first of all, all of it is made by a person. I think we forget that sometimes, right? Even when we buy something that is in a store and prepackaged in plastic, somebody somewhere in the world made it with a sewing machine, had their hands on it. Wait, 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 really? Like the underwear that I buy at Target is made by a person? It's not all fully automated? With few exceptions, every garment that we wear is made by a person somewhere in the world. Most of the time who is not paid very much, you know, and that's where the whole sweatshop, you know, stereotype comes in. But yeah, it's all made by a person somewhere. But the way that it's made is using higher end sewing machines, right? They're using fancier sewing machines that can do fancier stitches. I have become, you know, a student of the way garments are constructed. But if you take a look at the hem on an, almost any garment you're wearing, especially if it's a jersey, like a stretchy fabric, like a t-shirt fabric, you'll notice that there's like a whole bunch of threads that go back and forth and back and forth. That's a machine that does that specifically, and it creates some of the refined, you know, double stitch, you know, things that we're used to. They're also bumpier, you know, it's less, not as flat, and it's also a more expensive machine. So we had to design these in a way that could be constructed with a regular consumer sewing machine, which is absolutely doable. It just looks a little bit different than you're used to. It also creates a flatter seam. How do you go from, usually these things are made with a high-end sewing machine to let's figure out how we design this? Here, I need to give a lot of credit to my mother because she is the one that, you know, all along knew that it's possible. I think as time goes on and things become more automated and we all become more and more accustomed to getting things that magically appear at the store and then magically appear at our houses, there is a way that they are all made. And in fact, every single garment that we wear can be made without a machine. It can be made absolutely completely by hand stitch by stitch it just takes a really long time. So the in-between is everything can be made with a much simpler tool. It's just about knowing what those techniques are and they are techniques that are not you know, necessarily common knowledge or not even necessarily common knowledge among sewers. I'm a great example of that. Well, like I told you before, you know, I didn't know how to handle stretch fabric 
fabrics or stretch lace. It can be done. It's not hard. And I teach people how to do it. My mother was the one who came in and said, you know, every garment that is made, there is a way to make it. We just need to learn how to make it. And she already was well on her way to knowing those techniques slash taught herself when she had the idea to make me some underwear back before I was even really open-minded to it. You know, you're figuring out how to make it on a regular sewing machine. Then what happens? How do you go from that to let's get our first sewer who's outside of my house? In classic entrepreneurial fashion, it was not even just let's get the person. It was like, I desperately need some help. I can't do all the sewing myself. Help me someone, please. The phase that I just described when we were prototyping, every single one of those prototypes was cut by my mother, that she cut the fabric and either sewn by her or me. So that's how things started out. I started hiring help later. It was several months later when I hired the first sewing artist and started doing lessons. How did you find your first sewing artist? Her name is Sarah, and she's been a big part of the company, actually, you know, in the last couple of months. I met her at the University of Maryland when I spoke to a class of hers. It was a social entrepreneurship class. I spoke to a class of undergrads, and she was interested in the job. She came up to me right after the class, and she says, hey, can I sew for you, like, now? And I said, yes, let's do this right now. Not this hour, but, like, next week, and we did. And so I was very grateful to her to find her. She also ended up interning for the company and has been with us, you know, doing a couple other things. She had a job at a sandwich shop and she was making, oh gosh, I don't want to misquote what she was making, but it was well under $10 an hour that she was making at this sandwich shop. And it was very serendipitous that the two of us met because she had just quit the job the other day because it just really didn't work for her. And she was like toiling away and not making much money at all, but she needed the money to make ends meet and, you know, be able to take care of herself while she was a full-time student. And I said, Hey, how about 20 to $24 an hour? How's that sound? And she was like, so much better. And she was sewing for me a lot at night, you know, like after classes, just because that's when she wanted to be working. And so that's what she did. And I would say that the vast majority of the sewing artists that have interacted with Francie Pants at this point have come that way. I've done very little marketing. And I just find that when I'm out there talking about the brand, folks are coming to me asking for this opportunity. I have a waiting list for sewing artists at this point, just in Baltimore, you know, that's really longer than I can employ right now. So that's one of the things that, you know, keeps the fire lit under me to keep working and growing the business so that I can provide them with this work because there is just such an appetite for this extra work. Awesome. I love it. And we'll get to the generous wages in a minute because that's an important piece. So you hire Sarah and then what do you see on the horizon? When Sarah started working for us, it was still a relatively small operation. And, you know, to be fair, it is, you know, we're still in the growth phase of the business. But so we worked for several months in making garments, launching the website, starting to fill orders, continuing to get feedback and, you know, continuing to work on a few other things that, you know, were challenges for the business, like sourcing of materials. You know, there's a whole story to that and finding the fabric that we use now for Francie Pants. And then really the biggest, you know, change since those days was the launch of our Kickstarter campaign in the summer of 2018. We recently closed on a Kickstarter campaign that helped us to bring in a bunch of orders. And so this is going to be the first, you know, large increase in our sewing artist pool. Technically speaking, you know, I probably have sustainable work for another two to three sewing artists, but, you know, we expect growth. So we're planning for the future. So I'm going to be training probably 10 to 12 sewing artists coming up in the next couple months. How many sewing artists do you have right now? We have three. We're going from three to, you know, as many as 12, I would say in the next couple months. And that's, you know, planning for future growth that we expect to have. So how are people finding Francie Pants right now? 
we are like so many direct-to-consumer businesses doing a lot of Facebook advertising. You know, we're finding that Instagram has been a really good place for us to connect with folks who respond to our message of body positivity and size inclusivity. If any of your listeners have had a chance to check out the website yet, it's www.lovefrancypants.com. And if you are on the website, you'll notice pretty quickly, I believe, that the photography we do is very atypical for lingerie photography. We have many more sizes and just, you know, diversity of models represented on the website. That's something that's very important to us. So people notice on Instagram as well. So that's another way that people find us. What you're doing is super Instagrammable, let's just say. It's not the usual thing that people see on Instagram with, you know, their two kids and their family and their dog out for hike. It's like you see your models in lacy underwear. Looking beautiful and confident. Most lingerie photography that I've seen, I feel that it either over-sexualizes the models or it uses them as as objects that are displaying the garment. And a lot of lingerie photography, you'll see, you know, the head's cut off on the top, right? They're decapitated. And I don't want to decapitate my models. If you're curious, the reason that is, I have figured out, is that it is much more expensive. You know, brands need to compensate models a lot more if they want to feature their head and faces. It's the cost that you pay to the advertising agent or the agents that represent them. It's more expensive. And there's a lot of reasons for that. But, you know, the key assumption is that models are less interested in doing lingerie photography because it's more exploitative or, you know, is more revealing. And so they need to be compensated for doing this thing that is not necessarily something that they would want to do naturally. Interesting. Like they don't necessarily want to be seen in photographs in underwear. If you're going to do lingerie, it costs more. And if you don't show identifying features like their head, you don't have to pay as much. It's using the models for their bodies. And I didn't like it. I would rather see a woman looking exuberant and like herself. Well, how about we show some pictures of actual real women and like regular bodies instead of the standard Victoria's Secret, like 5'11 with this like perfectly whatever sculpted six pack that's like perfectly shaped and not too obvious and not too soft. Right. Has a little bit of butt, but not too much. The good news is that there is definitely a trend in the more in air quotes to show real women in brands, you know, and I give props to all of the brands that are doing that, but unfortunately it's just not enough and it's not happening fast enough. And there are so many brands with, you know, their air quotes, real women, and they use a woman who's like a size six or maybe a size eight. And that's their real woman. You know, sorry, that's not it. Like everybody knows, you know, the average is a American size 14 to 16 at this point, And 14 to 16 is where the size range ends for most brands. And that is not what they're photographing. It's a problem. There just aren't enough shapes. I love Instagram and it's funny, you know, to Claire, that so definitively. <laughs> I'm not a quintessential millennial thing I just said. I wasn't into Instagram and I now love Instagram. And the reason is there are so many people out there being themselves in ways that I haven't seen them be themselves before. And, you know, on the Francie Pants Instagram feed, I personally just started following lots of women that I was inspired by who were diverse in age and size and shape and skin color and skin texture and hair. By flooding my own personal Instagram feed with all of these images of women who are confident and exuberant in their own bodies and showing their bodies, it was easier for me to just see the beauties everywhere that I looked. I think that there's an opportunity for all of us. You know, it's not our faults when we feel that we aren't beautiful enough because we're trained that way. It sounds cliche, but if you really stop to think about it, all you're seeing are images that are a certain way. So I got used to Instagram, but when I do go somewhere else, like when I go to a traditional fashion, 
fashion show where all of the models are a size zero two with just a little bit of butt. And I see all of the models look like that. I'm like, oh, this is different. I feel that like, it's almost like a change in the circuits, you know, in my brain. And I can't wait to go back to my Instagram where it's more diverse. Well, it's just more real, right? Like you look at a Victoria's Secret catalog and, you know, not that I'm schooled in lingerie modeling or anything, but it's just so boring and they all look the same. And we both know that nobody that we know looks like that. It's no secret Victoria's Secret is struggling. They have been so dominant in the industry for so many years, but they are losing market share rapidly. And I'm pretty sure that's because, like you said, a lot of other people that feel that way, that Victoria's Secret doesn't represent them anymore. And they're starting to look for brands that make them feel better about themselves and they can more easily relate to. So I strive to find models that, you know, women who are interested in fancy pants can relate to. Awesome. Well, apparently they no longer hold the secret. I love the sizes and for listeners, the sizes, like Francie said earlier, they're not just extra small to extra large, which is like boo boring and just a recipe for your comparing yourself to, you know, the next size up or down that you think you would be a better human being if you were. So Francie came up with a bunch of different sizes. So we do something a little bit unusual. Instead of giving the sizes traditional numbers or traditional names like small, medium, large, we have renamed the sizes with positive names. They are Angel, Beauty, Cutie, Diva, edgy and foxy. And if you go on the website, you can find a size chart to help you figure out which fancy pants size you are. But the reason I did that is, you know, another big problem with the fashion industry is, you know, the inconsistency in sizes. Like that's kind of old news. Everybody knows that. Like everybody knows, like I might be a medium in one brand and an extra large in another brand. And how do I figure it out? Another thing I heard from women is just that, you know, the difference between being a medium and a large can really ruin somebody's day and just make them feel bad about themselves when there's nothing wrong with your body. Your body is as it is and it's beautiful as it is. And the name that somebody else assigns to the size that you wear does not have anything to do with you. And so I wanted to just take a big step away from all those, give names that people were not familiar with so that you can be a size cutie. What does that mean? means you're great just the way you are. It's something different. In a lot of ways, I'm an outsider in this industry. You know, I don't come to this industry with a traditional background in fashion design. I come to this as a regular person who wanted to make some things. And I think that maybe one of the reasons it was a little bit easier for me to throw out some of these assumptions. Right. Because you're not indoctrinated to the way things have to be, which is awesome. I mean, that's how things get upturned, right? That's what they say. Yeah. Awesome. I love it. What was it that made you go, okay, Kickstarter. So Kickstarter was a really good option for Francie Pants for a number of reasons. The biggest reason is that I needed funding in order to train more sewing artists, right? There are a few things inherent in the Francie Pants business model that make it a little bit more cost intensive. One of them is the higher than average costs we have to manufacture. Our manufacturing costs are higher than normal because we pay Americans a generous wage, like very simple and very straightforward. We pay per garment, we pay between 10 and $12 per garment. And so that'll come out to between 20 and $24 on average when sewing artists are, you know, experienced with what they're doing. That's a lot of money for somebody who can be flexible, work from home, relatively low skilled. But frankly, it is unfortunately terribly uncommon, but something that I really think is important and something that I think, you know, people need access to and should have access to. So if you are, you know, a stay-at-home mom and the kids nap for two hours, you know, in two hours, you can sew four pairs of fancy pants. You can make $40, $50, you know, doing that like in an afternoon and you don't have to hire a babysitter and you don't have to do the other things that are, you know, 
expensive and unreachable, you know, over the course of a week, a few hundred dollars extra can make a really big difference in the budget of most families out there. And I get on my soapbox about that and I forget what I was talking about before. Well, I love your soapbox. Stay on it. It's interesting. When I talk to groups of people and I really start speaking about my position on jobs and on the relationship between employers and workers, I just think that it is so important that we rethink the assumptions that we've made and we shift the paradigm here. The traditional relationship that we have where employers hire an employee and that employee works, air quotes, full-time and full-time is at least 40 hours a week. And if you work at least 40 hours a week, you get these other benefits and you have to have a job where you work at least 40 hours a week or you can't get those other benefits and you need those benefits like the health insurance subsidies to survive then you have to do it that way oh and by the way you only get 10 days you know two weeks or 10 days of vacation time and oh if your kids are sick you're gonna have to use that vacation time so nobody takes vacations or if you do take a vacation you're going to be looked down on for doing it but you know the list goes on and on i believe that there are many americans out there even the ones who have in quotes good full-time jobs who are very uncomfortable in those full-time jobs and have a very difficult time living the way that they want to live or caring for their families the way that they want to because they feel that there is no other option. Their jobs encumber them. I envision a future where our jobs can empower us rather than constrain us in the way we're doing work. I think that most people would rather have the flexibility to work when they want to work and spend time with their family when they want to spend time with their family, depending on what their day is like and what their week is like and what their financial needs are that month. And it can be like that. The model of crown manufacturing is one way that we can offer that empowerment and flexibility to folks. That's a very important part of why this brand exists. I mean, cotton underwear is important. Cotton is healthier for women. Most women don't even know that cotton is better for them and we can help them improve their health this way. That's not the only reason for this brand. This is a movement. Crowd manufacturing is a movement that we're starting and it's because we want to have another option for the way that we can work and sustain ourselves. I love it. It's so true. I mean, there's so many deep flaws in the way that we have the work week set up and the way that, you know, benefits and vacation, that whole bit. There are a lot of politicians out there. The laws in the United States, there's a lot of conflict right now over whether somebody is a full-time employee or whether somebody is a contractor. And there's a lot of pressure on employers to, you know, make sure that anyone who is a contractor, if appropriate, they get converted to a full-time employee. And, you know, on the one hand, I really want people to be taken care of. So if they need to be an employee to get taken care of, that's important. On the other hand, it is an assumption that folks are better off being a full-time employee than they are being a contractor. People don't always want to be a full-time employee with the burdens that come, the expectation to carry around a cell phone, the expectation to read your email at all hours. Folks don't want that either. But the problem is employers do not generally take good enough care of their contractors, i.e. they don't compensate them enough or they don't offer them benefits. I challenge that assumption as well. And I would like to demonstrate a model where contractors are as well taken care of as traditional employees are. And the regulation and legislation around this relationship, I assure you, is going to change dramatically in the next few years to the next decade because we need this change to happen and we need to question some of these assumptions. Yeah, love it. I'm on board with all of that. What's your biggest challenge right now? So for France Against, 2018 is a year of growth. So the most important thing for the brand right now is to get the word out and to inspire people to both buy and tell their friends about what we're doing. We're looking to grow sales. 2017 was really a building year. 2017 was about getting the patterns, prototyping, focus grouping, finding the fabrics, getting our supply chain in order, getting our training system ready, and all that stuff is ready to go. So we are ready for growth. So 
If you were to think really big about what you want to create with this, what do you see Francie Pants creating? I have some pretty big aspirations for this brand and this business even beyond what we're doing right now. So crowd manufacturing is an idea that is bigger than Francie Pants. So the plan is that we grow Francie Pants to a sufficient size. We demonstrate the viability of this model. We demonstrate the possibility to make money with this model, which I'm very confident in. And then we start crowd manufacturing other things. All the time now I'm looking, I'm like, ooh, we could crowd manufacture that. We could crowd manufacture that too. So I'm kind of collecting ideas for those things. But the vision for the future is a platform where we can sell our crowd manufactured goods like Amazon, but everything that you see there was made by a person who is working from home, paid a generous wage in the United States, which is not the case anywhere else. It's not even the case on Etsy. There are a lot of businesses. Etsy is a great place, by the way. I don't want it to come off like I don't like Etsy. There are a lot of folks who have businesses outside the United States. There are a lot of you know, traditional businesses that are on there. Crowd manufacturing platform of the future is what I aspire to create in future years. I always like to ask my guests how the She Thinks Big community can help you. So if you were to put a big giant wish out there, what would it be? There are so many things that I think that we can accomplish and we can accomplish more quickly when we work together. And one of the ideas that I've been exposed to as I started my own entrepreneurial journey is that we who have small businesses and we who want to see small businesses to succeed have a lot of power and opportunity to help make that happen. And one way that we can make that happen is by supporting businesses, by buying their products, by seeking them out and by spending money and with the businesses that we want to see succeed. That's one thing. But another thing that is even more powerful is investing in businesses that we want to see succeed. It wasn't even on my radar. Realizing that as an individual, I have the opportunity to invest in businesses that are small or startups. We tend to think that investing is only for you know venture capitalists out there or people with a lot of money or people who are very established and it's just not true. So I would encourage the She Thinks Big community to you know seek out those opportunities. Francie, I'm going to interrupt you because you have an opportunity here to ask for help from the community. It is so hard for women to ask for help. I watch them squirrel out of this all the time. The truth is I don't feel like I'm squirreling out of it, but I know what you're saying is absolutely true. Go to the website and if you like what you see about Francie Pants, tell several friends about it. Tell them to go to the website. Okay, that's great, but bigger, Francie, bigger. I would like you to tell your network about how crowd manufacturing can change the world because it's a movement and it will only grow by you sharing it. Awesome, Francie. This has been so fun. It's really been a treat to have you on the She Thinks Big podcast. And I totally love what you're up to and wish you the utmost success. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. It was so much fun being here. I love Francie's vision of demonstrating the viability of crowd manufacturing with Francie Pants and that she's shifting paradigms at all levels. I mean, talk about thinking big, right? At the top, she's providing a third option for people whose lives don't fit into the binary system of full-time employment. On the one hand, 40 hours a week, nine to five, benefits and health insurance, but only two weeks of vacation that gets used up by caring for sick kiddos or parents. Or on the other hand, being a contractor where you have a lot of flexibility, but you don't get any benefits and chances are you've got to go out and buy expensive health insurance on your own. I think of just how much human potential is left on the cutting room floor because people feel locked into a full-time employment situation 
for the benefits and the appearance of safety. Crowd manufacturing gives people the option to work from home and to be paid a generous wage while living in the United States. She's also shifting a paradigm about what it means to be body positive. I had never thought about the fact that every day I put on size large underwear and how that makes me feel. I think I'd rather be a medium, thank you very much. But even better is being a size cutie. I'll be taking a Sharpie to all my underwear this afternoon. I don't have time to tell you the whole story right now, but when you see me, remind me to tell you the story of the time that I was caught out in Southeast Asia with threadbare bike shorts, and the only option for a new pair had the word giant written in blue and white across my ass. Did I buy the bike shorts? No. I also want to talk about the part where I asked her to think bigger. In fairness to Francie, there was something else that was bigger that she just couldn't talk about publicly on the episode, so I needed to cut it out. But nonetheless, when we were having a conversation about it after, we did take a second to dissect the ways that we play small. And what came up for both of us was doing things like wondering in the back of our minds if people are interested in what we have to say, tempering or making more concise what we are saying, or talking fast so that we don't take up too much time. I just finished reading Playing Big by Tara Moore, and if you haven't yet, I encourage you to pick up up a copy. In a few episodes from now, I'm going to be talking about the ways that a lot of us play small in our lives and how we can shift our thinking to play bigger. I want to know what you enjoyed about this episode. Come share in the She Thinks Big Facebook group. If you're not a member, come join us. Go to Facebook and search She Thinks Big. It's free and it's the best place to be if your big ideas need airtime and support to grow. You should also check out Francie's website. It's lovefrancypants.com. While you're there, you can find out if you're an angel, beauty, cutie, diva, edgy, or foxy, and you can also check out all her different patterns, prints, and cuts. If you want to get in touch with Francie directly, her email address is francie at lovefrancypants.com. You can also find her on Facebook and Instagram where her handle is lovefrancypants. If you know you have it in you to think bigger and play bigger and you're ready to shed that cloak that keeps you playing small, you can work with me in strategy sessions or one-on-one coaching. Check out my website for more information. Thanks so much for listening and see you next week. You've been listening to the She Thinks Big podcast. If you want to find out more about it or hear previous episodes of the show, head over to my website, shethinksbigpodcast.com. If you want to connect with other women who are thinking big, playing big, and showing up big, head over to our Facebook community or click the join button at shethinksbigpodcast.com. Thanks so much for listening to the show this week. You can subscribe at Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, please leave me a raving five-star review. Seriously, it helps me get found on iTunes, which helps more people like you find the show, which helps us all do more good in the world. And last thing, I want to know what you're thinking big about. You can write to me at Geraldine at shethinksbigpodcast.com. Or if you want to send a tweet, I'm at Geraldine Carter. And now go have yourself a big day. Hi again. Would you rather spend your weekends outside playing or at your desk? In Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind, we put an end to overworking while maintaining revenue. Go to GeraldineCarter.com to learn more. Dates, times, pricing, it's all there.